When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on Wealth Track, is private equity in a bubble? Is the outperformance of alternative investments behind us? Blackstone's Executive Vice Chairman Tony James responds to the critics next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Clearbridge Investments, a leg mason company, Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective, Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences, and the Fairholme Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Investors are always looking for higher returns. After a 35-year bull market in bonds and a decade-long one in stocks, the consensus is that their returns are going to be muted for the foreseeable future. As a result, investors are literally looking to alternatives to boost returns. Alternative investments are just that, alternatives to the traditional choices of stocks, bonds, and cash. They tend to be non-correlated. In other words, they behave differently than stocks and bonds, thus providing true diversification in a portfolio. Among the oldest and most well-known are publicly traded commodities such as gold and real estate in the form of real estate investment trusts. Then there is an entirely separate universe of privately owned alternative investments. They don't trade publicly. They are not transparent to the general public. They are illiquid, meant to be held for long periods of time, mostly available only to large institutional investors such as pension funds, endowments, and sovereign wealth funds, and also to wealthy investors, high net worth individuals with assets of $1 million or more, excluding their primary residences, and annual six-figure incomes. Among the most popular private alternative asset classes are commercial income-producing real estate, hedge funds, private equity, and venture capital. These non-publicly traded alternatives have become extremely popular among large investors over the last two decades, because they have generally significantly outperformed stocks and bonds with less risk and have provided that desirable non-correlated diversification. For long-term investors in particular, their illiquidity is a benefit, not a problem. A case in point is private equity. Since 1990, private equity funds, which buy large stakes in private companies, have averaged 15.2% annualized returns, far superior to the S&P 500's 11.3% returns or the Russell 2000's 11.1% performance. All three have outperformed hedge funds over the 18-year period, although hedge funds have generally provided the protection they are supposed to in down markets. The lagging performance also didn't prevent hedge fund assets from hitting a record $3.2 trillion in 2017. Now, not surprisingly, private equity's outperformance has attracted more money and participants. There were an estimated 100 private equity firms in the year 2000, 
managing about $600 billion in assets. Today, there are roughly 4,000 such shops managing more than $3 trillion, a new record amount. The explosion of entrance and money pouring into the funds, plus the terrific track record of the asset class over the last two decades, has led independent research firm Strategus and some other market analysts to wonder if the outperformance can possibly continue, especially in a rising interest rate environment. Here's what Strategus told clients in a recent report. To the extent to which private equity as an asset class relies on leverage, it seems unrealistic to expect future returns to come anywhere close to those achieved when it was benefiting from unprecedented inflows at a time when interest rates moved ever lower. Considering the fact that a P.E. firm is nearly 40 times the number of competitors than it did 18 years ago, the expectation of better than public equity returns with less risk seems even less likely. Well, this week's guest has a different view on the outlook for private equity. He is Tony James. He's executive vice chairman of Blackstone, where from 2002 to early in 2018, he was the president and chief operating officer. Blackstone, with $440 billion under management, is a major global player in alternative investments, including private equity and real estate funds, hedge funds, and diverse credit funds. James is also a leading voice on retirement reform and is co-author of Rescuing Retirement, a plan to guarantee retirement security for all Americans, which we discussed with him in depth on a previous wealth track. In a recent interview, we focused on some of the questions being raised about private equity and other alternative investments. I started with their lack of transparency. They're really not opaque. They're opaque to people that aren't in the funds, but for the people that are in the funds, they know every investment. Uh huh. Okay. So they're not opaque. They're not publicly quoted, so a, a non-investor can't open the newspaper and read them. Right. But anyone who's in there knows exactly what's in there. They're not really opaque, just first of all. And, but, but, but certainly and anyone in, in investing in a, in a state pension fund or whatever, they don't know what's in your, their illiquid investment. They no, that's true. But the managers of the state pension fund that are choosing whether to invest they in it, do. they do. All right. And so, so the invest, so, um, so they're not opaque, okay. really. And then the, secondly, the second thing there is we do, just like when you get your account from Merrill Lynch every month, mm-hmm. you get a mark-to-market. We do that every month. You know exactly what every fund is worth on a mark-to-market basis. And it's just as pure mm-hmm. as marking public securities. Except it's not liquid. So, in fact, you really can't get that, right? Well, you I can't. Mean, you can't sell it, but you can no. get the value. Right, okay. So it's you a question of value. But you're, you're stuck in it, but you know you got the value there. Right. That value is incredibly rigorous because it, ha- it has to be. First of all, it's scrutinized by every consultant in America, mm-hmm. by every plaintiff's lawyer in America, <laughs> by the SEC, and so on and so forth. It's an incredibly rigorous mark, and it's monthly, just like your monthly statement from Merrill Lynch. Uh-huh. So you're not really adrift as to what you got there. You're really not. You just, you know, some of, the, some of those products you can, you can get in and out of, but most of them, you know, you're, you decide to put in right. a real estate investment, and you're in that. You own a building, and you know what it's worth, but, but until we sell it, you can't get your money. Yeah. So when, but when Blackstone started in 1985, for instance, I don't know, there were, in, in the, there were hundreds, maybe hundreds, if that, private equity firms. And now there are thousands. Right. And, uh, you know, and the hedge fund industry is very tiny, and now it's absolutely huge. So money has been pouring into these two spaces, that there's a lot of money chasing, you know, uh, kind of fewer and fewer good deals. What is your assessment of the so, private yeah, equity hedge fund uh, environment well, now, you know, after a 
you know, in, now in the ninth year of a bull market. Or yeah, maybe I think those, those two things, the, the private markets and hedge funds, are, are very different answers to that question. Okay. But let me start with the private markets. Yes. Um, a lot of money has come into it, but uh, we've been doing this for 30 years, and like clockwork, we're um, eight, 900 basis points a year, so eight or 9% a year, mm -hmm. higher return than the comparable public market. Mm -hmm. And that is undiminished today. Really? So, huh. so, so as public market returns come down, you'd expect you're maintaining your premium, that comes down. In fact, that premium, some people used to think, well, these private markets, private equity, real estate, it's riskier. Mm -hmm. So, okay, they'll, it's like it's public, it's public stocks on leverage. Nothing right. could be further from the truth. Really? So, so the leverage issue is something that has been brought up to guests from WealthTrack again. We're right. looking at the private equity space and they're saying, you know, this is, these are really leveraged and that, that's where they're, they're getting their, right. their return and premiums from. You're saying that's not the case. No. And okay. so what happens is in highly volatile markets, when, when, when they're, when, when they're um, plunging, private equity maintains its premium returns mm -hmm. or they increase. Mm -hmm. So back in 2008 and 2009, our private equity portfolios fell a lot less than the public markets did. And, and so, so what's going on here? Right. Right. Um, and the, the important thing to remember is we're buying whole buildings, whole companies, whatever else, where we, we can, and as the control investor, we can go in there and tell the company, okay, you're going to cut costs or you're, you're going to invest more in R&D to get new products. Or we're going to take advantage of, of the turmoil out there and the other companies cutting back because they have to meet quarterly earnings. You don't. So let, this is a time you can strategically learn, lean forward. 85% of the returns we earn private equity, for example, come from operational intervention. They mm -hmm. don't come from leverage. They mm -hmm. don't come from financial engineering. They don't come from multiple expansion. They come from increasing the profitability of the company. Same with, same with real estate. Mm -hmm. um, and so same with our venture capital leverage. business. So leverage is a magnifier, but what we have to do to start with is have unlevered returns higher than they can get in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And because we're controlling the company like that, we can also decide... Um, uh, when to exit. We can, we can, for example, decide, okay, the stock market's down, but there's a strategic buyer who'll pay me a big price for this. And, and so the, and you'll, and when you look at M&A, you'll see that the premiums go up in, in down markets and mm -hmm. go down in up markets. So it's much more level. So there's a lot of things we can do to, to um, decouple the results from economies, or markets. And, and from rising interest rates, for instance, that doesn't, I mean, how much does that change the opportunity set not or very the equation? Not of, very of, much. I mean, yeah. when we price a deal, we take advantage of the interest, interest rates at that time. Right. Lately, they've been very low. But, but, then, yes. but then we either get fixed rate or we hedge the floating rate, so we lock them in. Mm -hmm. So frankly, we're not subject to rising rates, really. Right. So it, are you not, uh, you know, if, if you're looking at the private equity industry, and again, all the money that's come into it and uh, and uh, again, the kinds of deals that you're seeing that are being done by people other than Blackstone is, do you have any concern at I think all about what's happening in I private equity? I think the equity? industry has performed really well. Yeah. And almost every pension plan, if you look at their results, their highest performing asset class is private equity. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's leverage in there. Make no mistake about right. it. But you're creating fundamental value. That's, what's that's what you're leveraging. You're not just, you're not just uh, leveraging public market volatility. Mm -hmm. You've got to go in there and create value. We can't make money for our investors if all we do is buy a company, leverage it up, and sell it. Yeah. 
That, that's a formula for disaster. Right. So that's you. But again, Blackstone is kind of the creme de la creme. Well, I was really so, speaking for the industry. And okay. Look, it's a big industry, as you point it out. Is. There are it gonna is. Be, there are going to be people that do spectacularly well, and there are going to be people that, that don't do very well. But on average, across America, the private equity industry has been, been a great performer for the mm -hmm. investors that have been in there a long time. And, and you can see that with all the public pension plan filings. It is not an asset class where you market time. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't really say, for example, oh, values are high today. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to jump in and then try to jump in in the low part of the market. By the time you pick a fund, you give that manager the money. That manager usually takes four or five years to draw the money down and find the deals. Whatever cycle you thought you were trying to avoid, you're missing it by several years. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's really an asset class you need to commit to through the cycle with right. the confidence that there'll be better years and worse years, but through the cycle, you'll outperform the public markets by at least 500 basis points. We're eight or 900, mm -hmm. but it, the industry should be able to do at least 500 mm -hmm. basis points. So here we are, let's talk about where we are in the cycle. And we've had, we've come through a period of 35 years of declining interest rates. And so now rates are starting to go up. Does that, how much does that change the equation of private equity and hedge funds, for instance, and certainly real estate, which is very dependent upon financing. Yeah. Um, I'd say that the effects of that are different across the sectors. But, okay. But in general, so we've got short and long-term interest rates. Mm -hmm. Short-term interest rates, the Fed, Fed, I think, is ratcheting up in reaction to economic strength. Mm -hmm. So for our existing real estate or existing private equity companies, mm -hmm. an, a strong economic backdrop is really good for or it will them. offset that. It will, okay. It, it'll offset rates. that, but also we lock in our interest rates. So the net balance of that is very positive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for new deals, um, as interest rates come up, valuations should come down um, to some degree. Right. And the benefit of high valuations goes to the sellers of assets, not the buyers of assets. So as a private equity for a new deal, you'd rather pay less mm -hmm. in a higher rate environment. Mm -hmm. So... And, and same with real estate. So as I will say, right now, private, our private equity, for example, has been very active this year. We've done some, I think, really good deals that are off to great starts. Real estate in America, it's a little pricier. It's harder to find the kind of values you, we like. But then again, we're finding it in, in Europe, in Asia. Right, you're global. In India. So, so that's part of what we do is we don't right. have to kind of force all the money into one market. But generally speaking, as... as if, if valuations soften a little, that's good for our returns. Retirees and everyone else, fiduciaries, are looking at fees. <laughs> so, so how are you addressing the, the fee issues? Uh, certainly in hedge funds, and, and I'm sure in private equity, I'm sure the institutions that invest with you are saying, you know, fees are, are too high. <laughs> or, or whatever they're saying. I'm sure the pressure's on. How are you addressing the fee so pressure we, issue? We have a, we're not actually seeing fee pressure. Let's You're not? Be, not? Okay. No. We have a variety of products. Some are um, high-fee, high-touch, operational intervention companies. So if we're going to go and turn around a company and run it better, as I talked about, that means we have to have a world-class set of executives, better than most CEOs and most companies, that can parachute in there, very and very hands-on way, mm -hmm. fix the company, and, and take it. That's labor-intensive, and it, and it takes a it's lot expensive. of fees to do that. Right. At the other end of the spectrum, we have a number of products which are lighter touch mm -hmm. with much lower fees. Mm -hmm. So if all you're looking at is fees, we have a full spectrum of things. And in fact, um, 
we, you know, when we go into a product, we're often the lowest fee producer. Mm-hmm. Provi- and so, for example, in private REITs, um, we started a, a, Blackstone, uh, a Blackstone private REIT at much lower fees right, than the existing industry. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, but it depends on what you want. So we have both low-fee products and high-fee products, but the high-fee products are so labor-intensive that we need that fee structure to be able to create the value. So the asset test is the fee going in. It's what the returns you get going out. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, the higher the fee product, the higher the net return after fees. Funds so are you the, putting pressure on the hedge funds that you're investing in? I'm sure you are. You bet. Yeah, yeah. And we are the largest investor in hedge funds. Right. So what we try to do is use that size to get lower fees from our hedge fund managers and lower enough to offset our own fees. Mm-hmm. So, so an investor in our funds gets someone who picks the best managers, monitors them very closely, balances the products to, so, that, so that our products have very good capital preservation, only about a third of the volatility of the stock market. And they get all that for free because, because, because we're getting big enough discounts from the underlying managers right. to, to offset any of our fees. But I think the whole the hedge fund industry is definitely under pressure. Mm-hmm. It's become more of a, um, instead of a high return asset class, it's become an asset class intended to uh, protect value in downturns. Right. But, they, but that's harder to do if you're coupling it with very high fees. So the, that industry is going through a bit of a redefinition, I mm-hmm, guess. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the next financial crisis developing? Are, are there places out there in the market that you're saying things are getting a little toppy? We've had several guests on who have said that they feel that private equity is, is going to be the, the next, is a, developing into a bubble and but they're citing leverage as an issue, that they're seeing a lot of leverage being employed by private equity yeah. firms. You're, you're saying that isn't a problem at all? <laughs> well, there will certainly be explosions. Yeah. But in generally speaking, no. I'm, it's, okay. I, it's not a problem, a problem at all. So it's more complicated than just the amount of leverage. So right now, the debt to cash flow is higher than it's been since before the crisis. Right. So that, their point is fair, and that's uh-huh. the numbers you And that's scary. However, that's yep. potentially to scary. However, right. however, the interest rates, to your point, are way lower. Right. So the, so the debt coverage ratios are actually higher. Uh-huh. But so, if interest rates go up... But we're not, we're not taking floating rate risk. Okay. You're so, not... But industry, other private equity no, firms the are industry, too, right? No, if you sell a high-yield bond, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I've been there when high-yield bonds were 14%. These right. days, it's 6 or 7 So, so, So the interest rate structure of the debt is much lower. Yeah. The covenants are looser. Mm-hmm. The maturities are longer. All that means the company has more survivability, not less. Even though the stated debt-to-cash flow is higher, right. the rest of it is safer. So... So it's not the capital structures themselves alone that will tip over. What would tip them over would be if there's another very steep recession right on the, on the, on the heels of companies um, yes. levering up. First of all, we don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. If anything, the economy's booming uh, and looks like we'll continue for quite a while. But secondly, even back in the great financial crisis, private equity defaults were tiny. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the cause. And that was the steepest recession we've had in our careers. Mm-hmm. The, the cause of the great financial crisis was over leverage at the banks and right. then the structured products, which, which collapsed and they had so much 
uh, ripple effect. Right? Yes. It was not private equity at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't think private equity is, there is risk out there, but that's not it. Where do you see a, a, a potential for financial disruption? Yeah. So I, I think the markets are being driven more by geopolitical forces than ever before. The big one, of course, is the strategic uh, conflict between the U.S. and China. It goes way beyond trade. Trade we could solve, and we could solve in a way that President Trump could declare victory, we'd narrow the deficit, China could live with it, the U.S. could live with it, and we'd go on. But it's so much bigger than that. You know, um, and forces within each country are pulling them apart. And, and it's so much bigger than that in that it's, it's military, it's, it's military, global dominance. It's global it's dominance. It's, it's, it's internal populism that, right. that each country feels. And by the way, countries all over the world feel that make people want to be more nationalistic, more selfish, more mm-hmm. self-serving, all those things. And that puts us, particularly with China because of the global dominance rivalry, on a dangerous collision course. And we have some flashpoints, whether they're the South China Sea or Taiwan or other things that are really, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. We're now sort of at a trade war. Could it evolve to a cold war? Could it evolve to a hot war? Right. It's a technology war. Um, it, there's a lot of stuff there and it's really dangerous. So I think that is mm-hmm. potentially catastrophic, although it will, I hope, be, however, I hope it gets resolved in a way, you know, you can certainly have uh, productive trade with a rival. Um, yes. And rivalry can be economic rivalry and technology rivalry and other things without it being military or, or expansionist or so on and so forth. But we have to find our way on that. Um, and I'm not sure we will. Right. And so that's what you're watching at Blackstone. That's, my, that, that's one particular area. Closely related to that, but somewhat different, is the spread of populism everywhere. Where every country, every country in Europe has, has government turmoil with mm-hmm. populists versus the traditional centrists. Just about every one of every major country. And, and, and that's all dangerous because you get these populist forces pulling, pulling the world apart, putting up trade barriers, making the world more, more inefficient. And it's all... Uh, so, yeah, a lot of stuff like that is where I think the problems are. Coupled with a long, an expansion that's getting old, yes. uh, rates starting to come up, Inflation probably starting to come because all of that trade barriers is inflationary. It's inflationary. Mm-hmm. And, and similarly, we've had the break of low commodities and low oil and whatnot. All that's starting to turn. So a lot of stuff could all come at once. And I don't think the, I don't think the, I mean, I think the banking system is strong. I think the private, for the reason we mentioned, I think private equity is strong, actually. Same with real estate. But if all that hits at once, and we, we, it could be scary. So at Blackstone, are you hedging against these potential risks? Is, is there a way that you would say that individual investors can hedge against these potential risks? Well, it's very hard to insure against these things. Right. Um, the, the best way to insure against them is it's not to get too far over your skis. So for me, I, I've started to take some money out of the stock market, mm-hmm. put it in safer things, safer th- things that will hold their value in the environment I'm right. talking about. Right, safer about. things would be? Well, one, th- one thing I like, for example, is we have something called Blackstone Mortgage Trust. So mm-hmm. it's a mortgage REIT. It's 100%, it's publicly traded. Right. 100% senior secured debt, so you're rock solid on good assets. 100% floating rate debt. So if interest rates come up, you just earn more. Mm-hmm. And right now it's paying something like a 7% mm-hmm. cash on cash yield. Pretty right. good. Right. Uh, similarly, you could do similar kinds of things with, uh, with corporate loans. Again, senior secured, floating rate, 
well up the balance sheet, but still earning a nice yield, mm -hmm. and you get even better in the environment I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, uh, of course, you can always put money in government bonds or 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 I mean, cash. Short-term government bonds. But are I, the thing cash. I don't like about government bonds is 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 you'll get your return whatever it is when you go in, right. but you probably have a negative mark-to-market -market when rates come up. Right. And in cash, you earn nothing. Mm -hmm. So I, I look for other other ways to actually earn something and protect value simultaneously. So thank you, Tony James, very much for your work on retirement uh, solutions, number one, and your new book, Rescuing Retirement, and also for being on WealthTrack and being so willing to discuss all matter of topics. <laughs> we really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, Consuelo. Thanks for having me. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider adding some alternative investments to your portfolio. The investment environment is changing. After 35 years of declining interest rates, they are rising. That means a repricing of all financial assets. We are already seeing a pickup in market volatility. Alternative investments can offset stock and bond market gyrations. Alternative investments can mean something as basic as adding a gold ETF to your portfolio, iShares Gold Trust has been a perennial favorite for its low fees, or a real estate investment trust managed by an experienced team. REIT Pioneer's Cohen & Steers Realty Shares is one of the largest and most established REITs with a benchmark-beating record and a high rating from Morningstar. For qualified high-net-worth individuals, a private equity fund or a global real estate fund could provide the counterpoint to your stock and bond positions. My major recommendation would be to invest with firms with a long track record of success. The alternative space is a crowded field with many new entrants. Experience really counts in this area. Well, next week, successful stock picking with the Motley Fool's co-founders, brothers Tom and David Gardner. What have they learned as they celebrate the 25th anniversary of The Motley Fool? To see this episode again and other WealthTrack interviews, please go to our website, WealthTrack.com, and also reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We have so much to be grateful for in this country. And make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.